don't, you don't need to put up anything yet, Dustin. I'll tell you when to put the slide up. Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. It's good to see you and to be with uh, us all together again. I want to just give you a little reminder of why we're slipping in this three-week kind of mini-series in the midst of the uh, series on the family that we uh, are still in. It came out of a van ride home from Franconia Mennonite Church, where a group of us, who I've been calling the multiplication team, it's not always the same people, it depends on the needs of the situation, but a number of congregations have been inviting me to come share with them what God's doing in our congregation. And I have always said to them, I can't do that without members of the congregation being there who've experienced what God is doing. And so I will come if I can bring other folks with me. So we went to Marion Mennonite Church a year ago. We went to Franconia Mennonite Church. There were a group of eight congregations we hosted here. Some of you were here for that. The group who goes is a group that I invite depending on the needs of the congregation there. And my sense of, uh, it's, it's generally been board members and leadership team members. Um, but when we talk about multiplication, we're talking about multiplying the kingdom of God and what God is doing here, but also what God is doing in other places. And I just want to say the multiplication team also captures the idea that God has called us as a congregation on this apostolic journey, on this mission to give birth to the kingdom of God in other places. This fall... Uh, the, the board has approved a ch multiplication and church planting school that will start at our congregation one Saturday a month. It will be like the STEP program, but it will be for mission, outreach, multiplication, church planting, and for any one of you who wants to sign up for that. So this multiplication thing is not an exclusive club. It is open to anyone who wants to be part of and engaged in the mission of God in our congregation. And so there'll be more opportunities for you to learn about that uh, as the fall approaches. Um, we have a number of folks who are involved in church planting from around Lancaster Conference who will be hosting, uh, resourcing us. It'll be a half a day, probably 8 to 1 o'clock uh, once a month. And so I just want to say to you that, again, what we're doing is uh, multiplying, being faithful to multiply what God is doing among us. Lancaster Conference has a new emphasis on multiplication, um, you'll hear some of that in their literature, and so again, we're living into what they're inviting every congregation to be part of. In any event, on the way back on the van from Franconium Mennonite Church, uh, some of us talked about the fact that as we have been sharing this with other congregations, we know we've shared somewhat unsystematically with you, and that it would be important for us to share this and communicate to you what we've been sharing with other congregations. What we're sharing is not new. It's not something that just happened, but it's been part of the process of congregational decisions that you have made over the last several years. So in that regard, it's not new. But change often occurs without us recognizing the implications of the change. Change often occurs without us recognizing when we've made a decision how it's going to change us. And so changes have been occurring within the last several years that haven't always been clear to all of us. And sometimes in any congregation or leadership or organization or group, it's often the leaders who are most aware of the changes, and others start to feel them and aren't sure what's happening. And so this is our goal, again, to communicate to you the change over these three weeks. After the message this morning, three ministers will share from their ministries and their metrons why, why the ministry exists in our congregation, what, it, what, what they do, how they go about doing it, uh, so again, you have an opportunity to hear from our ministers 
um, what God is doing. Last week, and you can put up, Dustin, not the opening slide, but um, a couple of slides in if you're able to. Next slide. Um, last week, we talked about the children of Israel, and we're going to pick up with that story again. Because one of the things that intrigued me as I was praying this week about this morning was, what does it mean to have crossed the river? So we talked about the fact that the 12 spies were sent out and they came back and Caleb and Joshua said, yes, we can do it. And the other 10 said, there's no way. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And that that was an important shift that meant 40 more years for them in the wilderness. And so they wandered in the wilderness and then the crossing the Jordan was this tipping point, this point after which they moved to the west side of the Jordan. And, um, and, and that the next period of time for them was really battles and boundaries. So if you look at those passages following the movement across the Jordan River, they are really engaged in battle. There's a lot of warring. There's a lot of death and destruction. And setting boundaries for people to live in. Um, you see that over and over again. And then um, the land is at rest. All of this, though, is for the purpose of the Messiah, God was establishing his people so that the Messiah would come through them for the rest of the world. So this little story is a big part, is a part of God's bigger story that this is good news for the whole world. That we today, sitting where we're at, are, are living out of what God did back in this story. Next slide. I talked then about the fact that of our own story over the last decade or so in the congregation and talked about some of the changes that have taken place in, as we've crossed the Jordan. And I talked about three or four years ago where I began preaching a series on crossing the Jordan. And it's early 2016. And after that, a lot of things happened. Heidi and I took a sabbatical. The board did the work of moving to a ministry team model. Um, we became installed as lead ministry couple. I had Parkinson's and a number of other things that were transformative in that moment of crossing the river. And then we're on the west side of the river. And I talked about some of the things that we're working through. The ministry, discern, ministry team has been discerned. There's new, new values about authority, accountability, metrons, uh, and membership. But it's all for the purpose of this, up on the upper left-hand side, that we are a community in God's mission. All of this is for, again, the world, the sake of God's good news to the world. Next slide, Dustin. Next slide. This is where we're going to be today. So as I was praying this week and going back through the book of Joshua, there are six principles for ministry in a place we've never been before. So I shared last week, and in chapter 3 of Joshua, Joshua says to the people, follow the Ark of the Covenant across the river because we're going to go to a place we've never been before. And I love that idea that God is always leading us as congregations or as individuals into places we've never been before. God has us on a journey. We talked in the series on Paul about this eschatological journey that we're on, that God is taking us towards the new heaven and the new earth. And what we're up to in this congregation is part of that story. Amen? We're not just making this stuff up. We're part of a story that is leading to the new heaven and the new earth. And so as I went through Joshua 3 to 7, and it might have been a couple of chapters after 7 as well, there are six principles that I want us to look at this morning as we think about how do we do ministry on the west side of the Jordan? How do we do ministry in a place we've never been before? Number one, and I, and I broke these out into what I call both and principles and less than principles. Both and and less than. We are both embracing the new and building upon the old. Number two, we are building both a remembrance and a witness to the world. 
there is potential deception both within us and around us. This is much less about us than about God. Number five, this is less about where I wish we were than where God has led us to be. And number six, this is less about me than about the community. Um, we're going to walk through those as we look at the book of Joshua. We're going to do a quick little Bible study of the early ver- chapters in Joshua um, before we hear from the ministers um, who are going to be sharing. So you can just keep that up, Dustin, while we go through this. I'd like to pick up with Joshua 1, Joshua 3, verses 1 to 4. And so guys in the front, do I have anyone who's, uh, or, or ladies in the front? Joshua 3, 1 to 4, um, who can tell us what page number in the Pew Bible this is in. And by the way, Eric and Elizabeth, that was a powerful worship time. Thank you. I hope you sense your call to lead worship, and I hope you lead us again. <laughs> because I sensed that call. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, it was wonderful. Thank you. Joshua 3, 1 to 4. Sorry, right, guys. We're, I'll get another drink. Because he's passing it on to you guys, so step up. Thank you. 171. 171 in the Pew Bible. I knew you would. It just takes a little time. Joshua 3, 1 to 4. And I'll give you a heads up where we're going next. All right, we're going to Joshua 4 next. That shouldn't be hard. Joshua 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, who are Levites, carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Follow the Ark. Follow God. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. The people of God were going on a way they had never been before. They did not have a road map, they did not have a GPS, they did not have Google Maps, they were on their own, except they really weren't. They were with God. But not only were they entering a place they had never been before, they were also doing it, as I said, without a map or GPS, and they were also entering enemy territory where everything was booby-trapped. Landmines, booby-traps, ambushes, they didn't know what they were entering. They had They had entered this land before the 12 spies, and 10 of them had said, we're going to get murdered if we go up there. Two of them said, we won't. This time, God doesn't give them a choice. He says, you're going. Joshua, be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. You're crossing into enemy territory. But you're not alone. I am with you. As a congregation, we're in a similar kind of place. We, too, have crossed into a land we have never been before. And I was intrigued, as I said this week, about the question, what does it mean to cross the river? What does it mean to live in a land we've not been in before? Because we will never go back to what we were or who we were. The changes that have occurred in our congregation are riveted and becoming riveted into the culture and spiritual fabric of our congregation. These changes don't depend on my continuing to lead, but are already embedded within the leadership of this congregation other than Heidi and myself. I recently, yesterday at a district meeting, Don Lamb from the ministerium shared that 
um, his sense that if a pastor doesn't show up for a community event or activity like the worship time we're going to have later this uh, spring as a, as a community, that if, if the lead pastor isn't there, the congregation also rarely comes. And I went home and said to Heidi, I'm so thankful I know that's not true about our congregation. That if I'm not there, I know that doesn't mean you won't participate. Because leadership in this congregation has gotten embedded in others besides me. It doesn't mean I'm not leading. Leadership is important from the level I'm leading. But we have diffused leadership into you as a congregation. You have owned the mission of God. It's not about me or about my mission. It's you, your leadership and your mission. So when I say ministry in a land we've never been before, I'm talking about all of us as ministers. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about just the ministry team or the board. I'm talking about this culture that we're developing where all of you understand that at some level you are ministering. So this is ministry for all of us in a land we've never been before. These principles that I've divided into both and and less than, the first one is embracing the new and building upon the old. Joshua 4, 19 to 23. Page number? Thank you. 172, verse 19, chapter 4. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern side of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Joshua insists that the people of God create memorials to remind their children generations down the road of what God had done in delivering them from their enemies, in delivering them across the Jordan River into the promised land. This was a new miracle. Joshua had said, God's going to do amazing things. And this is the, one of the first amazing things God does. But Joshua also links what God does at the Jordan River with what God did in delivering his people through the Red Sea. So while God's people had crossed the Jordan into a new land, this was not the first deliverance they had experienced. This was not the first time God had been faithful. This was not the first time God had delivered them. In fact, he had used the same process and method in delivering them through the Red Sea. In our own congregation, while we are in a new place, we've never been before, this is not the first time God has delivered us. This is not the first time God has taken this congregation across the Jordan. This is not the first time we've experienced God faithful to us. This is not the first time God has brought us into a new place. Because being the people of God means that periodically God does this over and over again. In fact, I would hope with every generation there's an openness to going to the new place God has for us. Since 1905, when our congregation was established, God has been leading us into new places. God has, been, God has been showing us his faithfulness. Even in years and seasons, when it may have felt to us as a congregation like we were in the wilderness, on the east side of the Jordan, or just going in circles, God was still leading us. God was still using us to get us where we are today. Because where we are today is not because we're such special people, but because we serve a special God. Because we serve a God who, as Joshua said, will do always amazing things among us. The team of ministers that we have today is in some ways building on the old. 
Um, it's in some ways building on what Mennonite churches uh, a century ago and less than that had when they referred to the bench of ministers. This was language that the church often used to describe a bench of ministers. This was a group of leaders who sat at the front and were set on a bench. And they were the leadership. It wasn't just one leader. That came later for us. But it was a bench of leaders, a group of leaders who sat at the front and took turns preaching and leading together. When I describe our congregation's ministry model to others, I will periodically hear them say, but that's just like the bench. It's not just like the bench. But it's very similar in the sense that it is a shared ministry that is occurring in our congregation. That we've taken an old ministry model and revised it based on where God has led us to today. Because God always builds upon the old. God builds upon the old. God redeems the old. God recreates from what was old. And God restores the old. What is behind us is never wasted if we don't allow it to be wasted. In addition, our emphasis on multiplying what God is doing is in many ways a throwback to the 1950s when every Lancaster Conference congregation was called to plant a church. Every church and outpost was the language. Every church and outpost. Every church planting a church. And in many ways, what we're doing as a congregation is simply living out that old history that the, congregation, that the conference is now bringing forward with the same expectation. That every, and you'll hear more and more about this, but that every congregation is in being invited to participate in multiplying what God is doing among them. That we don't wait until our churches are full to do that, but we understand that there are new ways of doing church that are important for us to be listening to what God's Spirit is doing and perhaps looking into those and praying into those. I also want to just note, and I think Nelson is here, but Nelson introduced yesterday to us... Um, the, the grant, though there will be grants available to congregations from the district, matching grants, up to $500 for those in the congregation who would like to do some kind of outreach activity or event in the, in the community. And so if the congregation matches 200, the, the district will match 200. It has to be approved, of course, um, but there's a process, and you'll soon, you'll soon lead more, hear more about this, a process for, again, multiplying in our community what God is doing. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're using, and grateful to uh, Nelson for his support in this, that we're using these funds to multiply as congregations in the district what God is doing. The second principle is both a remembrance for our children and a witness to the world. Verse 24 that I just read in uh, chapter 4 makes it clear that God is concerned, as concerned about the entire earth and the peoples of the earth as he is about his own people, that is, the Israelites. Joshua notes that God delivered his people so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You have often heard me preach that we exist not for ourselves, but for the sake of the world around us that God so loved and so loved still. You have heard me preach that everything we do in our congregation is for those who are here as well as for those who are not here yet. The purpose of creating a special people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, was for the sake of the world from whom the Messiah would come. And I also want to say, and I hope you've heard me say this repeatedly, that our children's salvation is every bit as important as salvation of the world around us. Our children are also our mission field our children, and passing on the faith to them, this, these, this remembrance, this talking about the faithfulness of God, is every bit as important as the witness to the world that God calls us to bring. 
The third, the third principle is the possibility that there is both deception within us and around us. When I was in junior high, I've, I think I've shared the story, but when I was in junior high, our Sunday school teacher started talking about all of the ways in which sin exists in the world. And within my gut, I just had this thing I wanted to say, but it exists here too. Like, it exists in me. Like, let's not just point to the world and say the problems are out there, the deception is out there. The reality is the people of God struggle with sin as much as the world out there, or at least to some degree we do. And so Joshua, the book of Joshua shows us this. Joshua chapter 7, 1 to 6, and 9, 14 to 18. Joshua 7, 1 to 6, and 9, 14 to 18. Are you guys with me? I'm just looking for a page number, sorry. That's right. I'll give you a heads up. Next one is, what's that? I'm sorry. 172, thank you. Sorry, guys, I didn't, even, I didn't uh, give you a heads up. 172. Joshua 7, 1 to 6. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. So this is after they've gone around Jericho, and Jericho has fallen. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And I'm not going to read any more, except if you know the story, you know that. And if you don't, here's what happens. God had said, do not pick up anything of the goods of Jericho. When the walls come down, do not take anything, no matter how tempting it is. Well, Achan didn't seem to be able to help himself. And he took a number of things, and he takes them back to his tent, and he buries them in the ground. And then the people of God go up against another city, um, up against the city of Ai, and they get destroyed. Not destroyed, but they, get, they, get, they lose. So here is God promising, you're going to win, you're going to defeat your enemies, and in one of the early battles, just after he's shown himself faithful to Jer- against Jericho, they lose. They run hightail away, and, and Joshua's beside himself. We're going to look at that in a moment, but he's beside himself as to why this happens. And God says, because there was deception in the camp, because someone broke the rules. Someone was disobedient to what I said, and it turns out it was Achan. And so Achan was destroyed along with his family. The principle is that sometimes it only takes one. Sometimes it only takes one sin, one act of deception, one act of manipulation, one act of rebellion to put the whole entire community at risk. The second act of, dece- the second act of deception came from without, and this was in Joshua 9, 14 to 18. And I think I'll just tell the story again briefly. The Gibeonites were neighboring tribes to where the people of Israel were, but they dressed up and pretended that they had come from a far country. They had moldy bread, they had old shoes and clothing, and they came and said, look, we know your God and what your God can do, and so we would like to create a treaty with you. And Joshua and his leaders looked at them and investigated the bread and their clothing, and they said, well, we, this, they, they must be telling us the truth. The scripture says Joshua did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua did not inquire of the Lord regarding the Gibeonites. He and his leaders simply made a decision based on what they thought were the best facts, the best available evidence. They made the best decision with the information they had. Unfortunately, they didn't have all of the information. 
And if they had inquired of God, if they had spent time with God, they would have gotten the information, I have no doubt. What happened in this moment? What happened to Joshua, this fearless leader? Fearless because God said, be strong and courageous. Had this man lost his time with God? This is the man who had spent time in the tent of meeting with God. This is the man who had been mentored by Moses. Had he stopped inquiring of God? Had he gotten too busy with his leadership responsibilities? Had he become overly self-confident, even a little bit arrogant? Because things were going so well. In fact, one of the earlier verses says his, Joshua's fame was noted throughout the countryside. Had he been flattered by what the Gibeonites had said about God? You have this mighty God and we're afraid of him. Whatever the case, the story reminds us that without a life with God that you constantly hear me talking about, without a life with God where, we're, where we spend time inquiring of God and asking God, how do we move in this situation? What is your call to us? Without that, we will miss critical information for our lives and for our congregation. We just will. We will act on the best evidence we have, but if we don't spend time with God, we won't have all of the best evidence. It's just the truth. Because he is omnipotent and he sees things that we don't see and he wants to download them to us. He cares more about this journey where we are than we do. And Joshua took things, unfortunately, as we all can and are tempted to do, into his own hands. As the sign says this week in the church, and it was not original to me, even our best needs God's mercy. Even our best needs God's mercy. We are nothing without God. We are everything with him. You've heard me say often, I don't want the best thinkers to be our leaders. I want the best listeners. I want, the best who, I want those who most intently inquire of God, what is God saying to us about how we live, how we lead, how we minister, how we do mission. I find security in knowing that we are surrounded by leaders who do that. I am grateful for those leaders who begin our meetings with the crown in the center, recognizing Christ's presence. And what we, what we do here is listen to what Christ is saying to us. Not come with our best thinking caps on, but coming with the ears of our hearts and the eyes of our hearts open to him. A second principle is the one of the less than principles. This is always less about us than about God. And I'm going to look at Joshua 6, 1 to 5, and Joshua 10, 42. So 6 is close by, guys, right? 6, 172, thank you. 6, 1 to 5. Now Jericho was tightly set up, shut up, because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound the long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight into it. Joshua 10, 42. I'll just read this one. 178, thank you. And this is a little phrase that gets repeated throughout the book of Joshua. All of these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord... Like, that's the key phrase for us, folks, because the Lord. If we're going to be faithful to him on the west side of Jordan, it's going to be because the Lord. 
Amen? Because, not because of us, but because the Lord. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel, fights for us. We are merely instruments in God's story. We get the chance to be part of his story if we choose it. But it is always God's story. It is always about what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. As Paul says, it is by God's mercy that we have this ministry. It is by God's mercy that we engage on this side of the Jordan. We are the vessels he uses. Any victories, any success always comes because God has given it. Not because we have earned it, have the right to it, or because of anything, frankly, we've done. And I don't think there's any point in my life where I become more aware that it is about God and not about me. It is about God and not about us. It is in our weaknesses that we recognize in new ways that if there's anything good that comes out, it's because God has been at work. It's because God is with us and fighting for us. And I understand in new ways why Moses said, God, if your presence doesn't go up with us, if your presence doesn't go up with us, do not send us from here. Keep us right where we're at, because we are in trouble if your presence doesn't go with us on the west side. We have crossed the Jordan. We have come into a place we have never been before, but we have done so because his presence has been with us. Any success, as it were, at this mission we have today and forever will always be because his presence remains with us and goes with us. More than anything else as a congregation, we must practice the presence of God, hearing his presence corporately, seeking his direction together. And I am grateful Josh and Janelle and Kate are going to lead us through a month of prayer in, in the month of May. Uh, there'll be daily prayer, there'll be a number of resources around that, but we're going to spend the month of May in prayer as a congregation, in part related to God, how do we live on this side of the Jordan? How is it that you're calling us to live and to be and who you've called us to be? I'm going to end with one last principle and not get to the sixth one. We'll get there next week. I'm going to end with Joshua 7, 6 to 11. Joshua 7, 6 to 11. Thank you guys for your good work this morning. 173. This occurs after the sin of Achan and after the people are defeated in Ai. This is Joshua's response. I don't remember ever seeing this before. I'm sure I read it, but I don't remember this passage. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? In other words, God, why did you do this? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. What's that harken back to? Where did the Israelites say that earlier? If only we had stayed in Egypt. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and all, and all of the people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out your na our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Listen to this lament of Joshua, the one whom God has chosen and told numerous times to be strong and courageous. Here he is, the leader who had experienced already amazing things by God, wishing the people had never crossed the Jordan, wishing they were still on the east side of the Jordan, back where they had come from, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I even love the fact that he's worried about God's name. 
You see that, God? What, what are you going to do about your great name? As if God needs to worry about what he's going to do about his great name. Or as if God needs us to worry about what he's going to do about his great name. God's going to take care of his own name. Perhaps God might have chuckled had it not been such a serious situation. Again, this leader who had, met, had ex- experienced tremendous faith in the past, exhibited it, is now weak and wondering why they crossed the river. God's response to him is simply this. Stand up, Joshua. Get up off of your knees or whatever you're doing and stand up. I suspect in this current situation as a congregation, as we've gone through a change, and I just want to commend you for your openness to the changes that have occurred. Lots of change has taken place, and you've been supportive and open, and I just want to commend you for that. But in the midst of change, it's always easy to wish that we perhaps could go back to the way things were, that we would still be on the east of the Jordan, feeling distressed that the changes have created uncertainty or conflict or tension for us. But for God, it doesn't really matter how we feel. How's that sound? To God, it doesn't really, in some situations, matter much how we feel. It didn't to him in Joshua's case. Our feelings do not determine where we are. Our feelings are not indicators of what is real. They're not indicators of our obedience or of God's faithfulness. They are just our feelings. Perhaps fear, perhaps discomfort, perhaps anxiety, perhaps resistance, perhaps whatever. But God is saying to us in those moments, just stand up. Stand up and lead. Stand up and do the ministry I've called you to do. I'm not really concerned right now, Joshua, about how you feel, and I'm certainly not concerned about how you feel about my name. I'll take care of that. We have crossed the Jordan as a congregation. We feel a variety of things about that. But what's less important than how we feel is that God is calling us to stand, to lead, to minister, to do mission in this community that he has called us to. Not, it's not that he doesn't care about our feelings because he doesn't love us. He actually doesn't care because he does love us. He loves us so much he doesn't want us to wallow in that and says, come on, stand up. You are more capable of doing than you think you can do. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the principles that you have shown us of what it means to live and minister on the west side of the Jordan. I pray for these ministers who share with us now that you would speak through them and bless them and lead them as they share with us their ministries and calling. In Jesus' name, amen. There are three ministries ministries represented this morning. I'm going to ask you to come forward. And I think I'd like you to speak from up here so folks can see you better. So I don't care what order you come. Um, Bethany, you want to come first? And then Jess and Andy, I think. And... Josh and Janelle. Okay, so I'm Bethany Miller, and I'm the Minister of Children, if you didn't know that. Um, I think when I was considering the whys of children's ministry, um, this is different than what I sometimes share when we go on multiplication, but there are parts of this that I share. So I don't know why I'm telling you that, but I'm just telling you that. So the whys of children's ministry, I feel like, can be pretty glaringly obvious. Like, they are... um, we, we see that we are raising the future. These young ministers are the ministers of, lead ministers of the future, the parents of the future, the church of the future. Like, we are raising the future. So that's pretty obvious. Um, 
Another obvious of a why for children's ministry is that they need us. Like, some of them are completely dependent on us. Um, they can't, they have needs that can't be ignored. Um, and there's, finally, there is a lot of them. It's quiet in here today. Do you notice how quiet it is in here today? Like a third of our church went downstairs today. Like literally 50, 50 of us, there's 140 of us usually here. So 50 of us went downstairs. So that's a promising future and I certainly not to be taken for granted. Um, there's plenty of churches who have nobody go downstairs for children's church. So we, we, that's not something we're taking for granted. And those are just the basic whys, I think, of why we have a children's ministry program. Um, the why that I consider why I'm in children's ministry is I like them. They're fun to be with. They are energetic. They're excited. They're hungry. They're expectant. And they're unpredictable. Um, also, because the Lord has called me to this for such a time as this. He's given me a burden. Um, you can put up that picture. So I was trying to think of what a burden, I was trying to find a visual for you so you know what the burden kind of looks like. Um, and this is what I came up with. I typed in Google, um, ball of colorful electricity, and that's what came up. Um, so it's a visual for you to see that this um, burden is urgent and it's weighty. It's, it feels urgent. Um, it's at times heavy and overwhelming. Um, at times it's so inspiring and creative. A burden that is ever more pressing me to be shrewd, to be calculated, and to be intentional in how I um, am what we're doing in ministry. Um, the burden is made up of these things. Things like their spiritual health and their biblical understanding. Their ability to know who God is and who he created them to be. Things like um, to discover their gifts at an early age. Give them opportunity to exercise those gifts. Um, I, have a, I feel a burden for their relationship with their parents. Their relationship with God a relationship with each other, the relationship with the church, with their friends. I feel a burden that they understand how the church works, that they um, understand the purpose, and that they understand their place in it. And this burden um, is shared by many of you, most importantly, I hope you guys as parents. Um, but also many other of you, others of you who have taken my life seriously, who have taken these lives seriously, um, that you, we have been gifted to influence, disciple, and minister to and alongside with. Um, some of the ways, um, the whys of those serving in children's ministry, um, I, I tell this story, I had a volunteer attend a training in the fall, and when I asked why you came or why you serve in children's ministry, she told me that she decided to serve in children's ministry because she knew she needed to for herself. And I was like, what? I have never considered what I need and putting myself in children's ministry to gain something. It's all about serving them. It's all about meeting their needs, about what they need. She chose to be a part of it because she was looking what she could learn from them and she was looking for a place to belong and serve. And that has, caught, that has, that has spurred my mindset to change the, what I can learn from these kids. So if you serve in children's ministry, I'd love you to tell me why this week. Just send me an email. 
my vision verse, uh, my expectation, my, guy, my cry to God when it's overwhelming, the promise that I cling to is Psalms 92.13. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. And I just pray and pray and pray that the work that we're doing now, that they're planting them here, that they will flourish, they will never leave, and they'll just be these big trees Our vision statement is to disciple our children to know God, to be able to hear his voice, to learn to talk to him and worship him from a young age. So the how of children's ministry feels simply complicated. (laughs) It's high expectation and it's high opportunity. I recently had this vision, and if you can think about this with me, like all of the kids in children's ministry, they're lined up at the end of the beach, like right where the tide comes up to the sand, and they're just standing there and they're all different. Some of them are sitting because they can't stand yet, you know. And they're at different growth and development, like spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, socially. They're all different. But each time a tide comes into them, and it's a new tide of opportunity. And that has to be the way we view um, children's ministry, that each time a new tide comes in to spur them to greater understanding, to greater depth, to greater love, um, that when they meet uh, meet a mark, that we give them something new. Um, I talk a lot about the spiritual gift fair when we go, um, and this idea that came from um, when I learned that the jun- there's a Holy Spirit and it's not a junior one. There's no junior Holy Spirit for the children. Um, that the same Holy Spirit that's at work in us, that's at work in the early church, the same Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost, came at Pentecost in tongues of fire. It's in these kids. Um, So that's my changing my mindset. Um, That's another how. Um, My mindset as a a leader has developed. It has developed as a parent. It's developed as a congregational member um, that I'm starting to intentionally look for and anticipate the Spirit's work in these kids, that we recognize them as co-workers on an apostolic mission, co-workers who pray without the doubt that we have, who pray without the fear that we have. They pray to the Holy Spirit, the God of heaven, without those things. And there's no watered-down version of the Holy Spirit just for kids. Um, talking about their spiritual gifts, I feel like, has become a normal kind of conversation. I don't know if it has for you as parents, as you did through the spiritual gift fair, but looking for them has become like an actual treasure hunt for me. I like love to tell kids when I see them doing something basic how big it is for the kingdom of God. Um, I'm going to tell this story um, about my friend Abby, who um, has a physical disability. I tell this when we go. Um, that sets her apart like physically and mentally, but it propels her forward spiritually. There is nothing um, inhibiting the power of the Holy Spirit in Abby. And um, so this story, I hope I can tell it, um, at lunch in the park, um, Susan was having a bad day in the morning, and at lunch in the park, Abby saw Susan walking down, and having no idea what was going on with Susan, just looks at her and she goes, there's Susan, give it up for Susan, and starts clapping, just cheering and clapping for Susan. That is the gift of encouragement. That is the spiritual gift of encouragement in Abby, and she knows how to use it. I love that. That's my favorite story. Um, So, of course, Abby should serve on a prayer team. Of course, Abby should be a greeter. Of course, she should learn how to exercise her spiritual gifts. Finally, the what of children's ministry. 
the what's of children's ministry, the way that we practically walk out the whys in the house, the what's are Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, children's team members, children's church team members, kids camp volunteers, family night leaders, mentors, and prayer partners. I want people with humility, people with excitement to see how the Holy Spirit is leading the lives of the children, who look for their gifts and call them out, who anticipate with the kids, with their parents, God's purposes and plans for them. I'm looking for people who expect to learn as much as they teach. God has equipped us here at Etown Mennonite with gifts and resources to meet the needs of the 50 children. He has, they're here, they're already here. The resources and everything we need is here. I would love for you to consider how he has gifted you and I would love for you to share the colorful burden with me. Um, my name's Andy Lloyd, and with my wife, Jess, um, we lead the uh, youth. We are the youth lead ministers, I guess, and uh, we have a fun time doing it. Uh, we lead with uh, Lee and Megan McClintock and Katura and Ethan Miller, and they're awesome people, and they're big helpers, and they're pretty cool, too. So our Jess can't be here today. She's with uh, our daughter. She has a volleyball tournament, and that's where I previously was, and so sorry I'm wearing a sweatshirt, um, but I figured if our pastor can wear shorts and preach, I guess I can wear a sweatshirt. So, um, you know, why has God called us as a congregation to be a part of, you know, the youth? You know, the youth... These guys are special gifts from God, all right? Um, you're our kids. You're, some of you are my kids. Some of you are, some of you are th these guys' kids. But, you know, if we're uh, a family and we are, you're a part of, one, part of us, then these are all of our gifts. And, um, you know, I, you hear this saying, with great gifts comes great responsibility so what was that what spider-man oh I learned it somewhere so um, but anyway uh, you know thinking about this you know I always think about you know the Great Commission when you know when Jesus really um, sends the uh, sends the disciples out after you know he's about ready to, to take off and everything but I just want to Read here real quick. In Matthew 10, you know, Jesus uh, gathers all the disciples. He's training them up in the ways that they go. And then he kind of gives them a short little project, a short little missions trip. You know, all the training that they just did, he's going to send them out to try to kind of like, um, you know, see if they've learned anything, see, see, if, see if they've, you know, grown in, in their ways. And so in Matthew 10, verse 5, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, as you 
go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, and freely you give. So a lot of times, you know, with, with the youth, that's my, our philosophy, is just, you know, training these guys up. You know, they're in, this, and they're in a, a safe place where they can be trained and then kind of go out. And just as the disciples then re- came back and they had a debrief session with Jesus, you know, they shared their struggles, they shared their victories. That's what we want to cultivate here, you know what I mean? So that when the Great Commission is, you know, when they're ready to, to be sent out long term, you know, uh, they can draw on that kind of stuff. So, you know... That's why God, I believe, has uh, called our congregation just to be trainers and disciples of these guys. Um, how are we carrying out the, the ministry? How are we ca- carrying out this ministry? Um, well, we have Sunday school. We have youth group. We have family night. We have all these kinds of things. And during this time, that's when we train. Uh, family nights, like I've said time and time before, I'm a real big fan of treating that night like family, doing family things. Last Wednesday, we went bowling. And man, it's super fun to watch these kids get strikes. It's super fun to watch them get gutter balls. And somehow, they get gutter balls when they have bumper lanes. I don't know how that happens, but it happens. So you know, those nights, it's cultivating family and just rejoicing and having fun and fellowshipping. Um, Youth groups were definitely just you know training them up teaching about things, um, and uh, Sunday schools is just teaching them the word, reading the things that Jesus wrote, reading the things that Paul wrote, learning about their uh, just different th- differences. Some of the things that we're, they're, we're doing is just even simply prayer. All right, you might think, oh man, prayer is super easy. Let me ask you a question here. Is praying easy for you guys? So when I say, for instance, so when I say, who wants to pray? Who raises their hand right away? I guess Jemba, you're in an, you're an anomaly. All right. Or Colin. Colin does sometimes. When I give Colin the evil eye. All right. So, so we're graduating from, uh, from nobody, you know, raising their hand to pray or the same person to giving the stink eye to, hey, you better pray, to now it's just awkward silence till somebody prays. So we're little steps. We're getting there. It's, it's a lot of fun. So that's how we're carrying out ministries. We're going to be going on a missions trip this, um, this summer, and I'm super excited about it, just getting us out of our comfort zones, you know what I mean, for a week. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And, yes, we finally got dates for it. Uh, and so... Um, super excited about that, and there's more to come with that, and how you can help help with that. Um, and then, what are the ways that others can join us in this ministry? Just piggybacking on what Bethany shared. I mean, you can't look at the future without looking at the present. To me, right now, so like the present, and presently, we have 50 plus kids, I guess, below these guys, right? They're coming. Oh, man. And I'm not running. I embrace that. I'm super excited. That gets me pumped. Uh, But, you know, that's a lot of kids. 
Uh, when we have a room, room full of 25 right now, it's like super exciting and it's like also, also hard to just engage in each one. You know what I mean? So how can you help? Oh man, let me tell you the ways. All right, now, maybe, maybe in the past, um, you've, you've carried the youth group mantle. You know what I mean? My kids went through the youth group and I helped along the way and then I passed that mantle on to the next. Maybe God's saying, it's time to pick up that mantle again. You know what I mean? I've learned awesome cool things in the shortest, short time that I've known Comer, and that's one of the things that he really taught me that if that's a gift that you have, it just doesn't fade off and flicker away. It might be time to put it away for a season, but it's going to come back again. So maybe you've carried that youth um, torch in the past. Maybe it's time to pick it up again. Or maybe you haven't ever caught, carried it, but you just don't feel like you have the time. Maybe that's an excuse. Uh, or maybe you have, maybe you have uh, little, you know, little kids, and maybe that's something that you want to start establishing in your family culture is raising, is help seeing. I'm just always reminded, and it didn't really, and I'm not, I love everybody here. Everyone's awesome, and I mean no disrespect. Jess and I, when we were, when we were younger and we were having our, our little kids, we found it very valuable for them to see us ministering. Um, sure, was it, was it a lot? Yeah, it was a lot there. Did my daughter at three years old, when we were having a youth group um, session, climb on the end table and catch her hair on fire with a candle? Yes, that happened. Uh, but that brought all new men, uh, meaning of catching fire for Jesus. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, it has its adventures. It has its peaks and its valleys. But, man, it's super awesome that when you um, go through the years that, that Jess and I have, and some of you are, feel the same way, when you see kids devote their lives to Jesus, whether that be graduating and then going to Australia or getting the chance to watch somebody go to the mountains of Nepal and be in ministry and or maybe seeing somebody take their family to the Middle East and do things there or or go to college and and start a business and then um, establish kingdom principles in their business and watch it grow you know I mean all this stuff is super cool to watch these guys as they grow up you know, do awesome and great things. But then there's also the times when you have um, children just backslide, and that hurts too. But, you know, we, we, we grow together, and we have fun together, and we learn together, and that's how we go. All right. Thank you. Hello, uh, we're Josh and Janelle Gish. We're the ministers of discipleship. And um, as the ministers of discipleship, our goal is to have everyone in the congregation fall more in love with Christ day by day. And that, that love would abound more in knowledge and depth of insight. That is, 
as we learn to know Christ more and become more like him, our hearts would become one with Christ so that what hurts his heart hurts ours and what excites him excites us and where he leads, we will follow. All right, so you like your long sentences. I was going to break it down a little bit. So we want everyone to fall in love with Jesus more each day. So we try to do that and we want to help you do that. Um, We want to know God just not to know him, not just to come and learn on Sunday or to read a nice book. Um, but because we love him, and we talked about that in our um, membership class this morning, we want to be in relationship. We want to fall in love with him. Um, and I think you see that in personal relationships. Um, when you're dating, when you're going on dates with people, you want to learn about them and know more about them. So we want to help you do that with Jesus and your relationship with him. Uh, so... Uh, We learn to know Christ more by deepening our knowledge of him, uh, by strengthening our relationships, as Janelle said, with one another, uh, and by calling each one of us to the mission, to actually live out our faith in the workplace and in the world around us. We carry out this mission um, in our church through working with the leaders of the adult Sunday school classes to empower them to teach with authority and truth. We support the leaders of the women of the word as they foster deep relationships with Christ and with each other. We are working with a team of leaders to reimagine men's ministry, well, Josh is working with them, and um, to have a place to grow and of a growth and encouragement. We create space during family nights so we can hear amazing stories um, from each other of God's faithfulness and guidance over the years. Um, for those of you who have been there, it's it's been a very powerful time where Uh, We've heard stories that we wouldn't hear anywhere else um, or any other time, uh, and we can hear what God has been doing. It helps us to know each other uh, better um, and uh, across generational lines, across Sunday school lines. um, And so... uh, so I think I think the people who who have been able to go to that have really uh, benefited from it a lot, and and uh, I feel like I know a lot those people a lot better too. Um, we're also working to uh, to think about the prayer teams and and think about how God is going to be leading our congregation in um, through prayer uh, in the future. Um, Our vision for the future is that each person is growing closer to Christ and is spurring others on to know Christ better as well. Each of us is called to be a minister, um, and each of us has people that God has called us to minister to. Uh, We're open to hearing from each of you uh, about ways that you see that we can fulfill this mission. If you have an idea of something that would encourage discipleship in our congregation, um, or if there's a way that we could change things to make it better, uh, let us know. Um, you know, discipleship is not just about learning the Bible facts and, and stuff. We don't necessarily want to be like the Pharisees, where they knew all about the Scripture and knew the um, knew all the rules and added on to the rules. But um, we want to to learn to know Christ in a way that actually causes us to become more like Him and. Um, and to actually carry out God's mission uh, here in Elizabethtown.